Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, December 9th, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. An associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. You know, my mother used to say uh, in uh, one of my favorite things, which is sort of um, uh, antiquated uh, or antediluvian cliches, uh, things, you know, said in the past that no longer make any sense in the present. She used to say, never a dull day with the Dodgers, which apparently was a thing said in Brooklyn in the 30s and 40s. Uh, because uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers, whatever you may say about them, uh, never failed to uh, stimulate anxiety and fear and hope and depression and and uh, terror in the hearts of its fans because they were good one year, they were terrible the next year, they were good in the half, first half of the season, bad the next half of the season. Never a dull day with the Dodgers, and so apparently it is with American electoral politics two days after the defeat of Herschel Walker in the runoff or two and a half days uh, with the defeat of Herschel Walker in the runoff, thus handing control of the Senate unambiguously to Democrats so that they can get extra members of committees and uh, and uh, more dominance than they could have with a 50-50 split and the tie breaking vote from, from uh, the vice president comes news that Arizona Democratic Senator, uh, is it Kirsten or Kristen? Can somebody help me? Because I can never remember. No, not there are four I, of us I here. It's and Kirsten. Kirsten. Is it Kirsten? I, I would. I thought Hold it was on. Kirsten. Hold on a second. Kirsten's okay. usually spelled different. Kirsten. It's Kirsten Cinema. Okay. Kirsten Cinema uh, announced this is like our Kamala problem. <laughs> yes. Announced an op-ed in uh, in the Arizona Republic that she was uh, becoming an independent, uh, that she did not fit uh, properly in either party, and thus she will become the third independent in the U.S. Senate. The other two being Bernie Sanders of Vermont and Angus King of Maine. Both of those independent senators caucus with the Democrats, thus they are added to the Democrats' total uh, in the caucus. We do not know what Senator Cinema is doing. Remember this yeah, do. decision. Oh, we do. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah, we do. According to uh, Lisa Desjardins at PBS News, she's keeping her committee assignments, which means she's caucusing with Democrats. She doesn't attend well, a Lisa weekly Desjardins meeting. Desjardins may has. say that, but she well, according didn't to Kirsten Cinema, she didn't say it in the op-ed. Said it to, to Lisa Desjardins. She, is she quoted <laughs> as saying it? Well, this is her news. Is she not no, going to? She she's quoted? not going to have committee assignments. No, no, Noah. Of course hold on. she is. Hold on, Noah. The question here is whether she is a canary in a coal mine, because Cinema is not the only Democrat who could conceivably flop to the Republican column. What if she? She's not flipping to the Republican. I'm sorry. Finish your thing, and I'll you? tell you why none of this actually matters. <laughs> okay, well, so you're wrong okay. because of what I'm about to say. Do you know what I'm about to say? I don't. I don't. Okay, what I'm about to say is that she has worked for two years in a strange kind of tandem bicycle built for two game with West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. 
West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat, is up for re-election in 2024. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, up for re-election in 2024, is likely to lose his re-election in a state that Donald Trump won by 40 points, notwithstanding his uh, the things that he did in the course of 2021 to block the most egregious elements of the Democratic agenda, in part because he voted for the Inflation Reduction Act. And the Inflation Reduction Act is going to be used as a giant weapon against him. So what if the story here is that Cinema announces that she is going independent and Manchin, Manchin announces that he is changing parties and becoming a Republican? Okay, they can't get legislation passed anyway because Republicans control the House. What if she is the, you know, I don't know, not the canary in the call, whatever, I'm, you know, what if she is the harbinger of Democratic doom and that this is a game that they are playing? She has announced she will caucus. She'll become an independent. He then says, I can no longer countenance. They are, they are about to make sure that the thing that I signed on to in the Inflation Reduction Act which is some access to coal or access to energy thing. I can't even understand exactly what it is that was supposed to benefit West Virginia. They were going to screw him and not do it. It was permitting reform, and they're still not going to do it. Permitting. They to, okay, they're not going to do it. The NDAA, and they didn't make it. Okay, so they're not going to do it. So Manchin says, I only signed on to this because of permitting reform. They're not doing it. I am no longer a Democrat. I did this for my state. And they screwed me and they screwed you and I am becoming a Republican. And then and then cinema and then it really is 50-50. And then cinema says, what can you give me to caucus with the Republicans? Well, John, yes. something else your mother said was yeah. there comes a time where you have to join the team you're already on. Right. Well, we well, the thing about the two of them is they're right. The thing about cinema is she's right. She's not on any team. She is some kind of free-floating actor. She's really not on any team. She's a okay, very strange... Okay, now let me jump in here and say whether none of this actually matters. She She's a pretty reliable Democratic vote. Now, when you pretty get to... Pretty reliable. Really, pretty reliable, except for some you know, really high-profile stuff that we focus on. But just about every... All the nuts and bolts passes with her votes. She's more reliable than Joe Manchin ever was. If that other shoe drops, it'd be a big deal. But right now, she's just another Democrat who caucuses with Democrats... And this is all to avoid a primary fight. Joe Manchin isn't facing a primary fight. Kirsten Cinema is. Kirsten Cinema would lose a Democratic primary. Yeah, and she doesn't have to fight in one. Yeah. That's it. yeah, they've also both been the senators who've who've been the target of the most aggressive uh, left wing uh, protests and attacks. I mean, let can we recall that left wing activists followed Cinema into a bathroom? yelling and shouting at her and that there were protests outside uh, Manchin's uh, houseboat where he lives in D when he when he's in DC. I mean th these are these are the senators who've been um repeatedly uh just under siege by their own party's left wing and there's been nothing done to kind of alleviate that and they're also the ones who are the first ones thrown on the sacrificial uh, uh pyre when Democrats need to blame someone for anything. So I mean it's not at all a surprise that they don't feel welcome in their own party. But she, I think Noah's right that she does tend to reliably vote Democrat, but that's not necessarily what she will do going forward. Okay, March 6, 2021. What did Kirsten Cinema do when um when the um 
when the effort was to uh, include a $15 minimum wage nationally in the coronavirus relief package. She walked up to the microphone. She was wearing a mask. And she went thumbs down and did a little dance and then turned around and flounced back up the aisle. So you may think that she is a reliable Democratic vote. Democrats do not consider her a reliable Democratic vote. And her actions and Manchin's actions and the fact that they were there blocked from consideration a whole mess of stuff that was never even brought to the floor because it was known that they would vote against it. So what the things that came to the floor she ended up voting for in many many cases they just didn't even bother because the caucus was in disarray i'm not saying that my scenario is going to happen i am saying that the two of them and if it doesn't happen this is an effort to avoid a primary fight and only an effort to avoid a primary fight but if all these other moving parts come to play it's something much bigger Look, if she runs as an independent, she, there will be three people in the race, and yeah, she maybe she piles up the middle, and 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 wins. Um, but and there's no guarantee she, she would face it. I mean, there's no guarantee the Democratic Party would support that primary. You know, most likely they would. But Bernie doesn't get primary challenges that are Demo- that are supported by Democrats. Neither does Angus King. Yeah, so but, but Bernie. Yeah, but Bernie and Angus King really are Democrats. They just call themselves independents because of their. Because of their weird Yankee branding. Oh, I'm a just I'm a flint, I'm a flinty Yankee, and I don't hold with all of this partisan. I'm a man of principle, you know, whatever. They're both commies and they vote like commies, and so they're Democrats. Like I, you know, it's that's the interesting thing about cinema and mansion is that they are old-timey Democrats. And the party has moved far to the left of them. That's so, you know, the meal Republican Party is far to the right of them, you know, whatever its center of gravity is. But do not dismiss my scenario. You are you are foolish, Noah, to dismiss my scenario. They have been a team for two years. And this came out of nowhere. Nobody saw it coming. Uh and I, I, you know, uh, it it'll only matter if it is part of this game. I mean, just that she brands herself as an independent. By the way, it's that's not exactly what she, I said. Hold on, she could <laughs> lose at a primary. No, no, she could lose a primary challenge. What primary challenge? She's running as no. an independent. No, no, no. If she stayed a Democrat. She could have lost a primary challenge right, and run as an independent and won. That's what Joe Lieberman, that's what happened to Joe Lieberman in 2006. Right. That's what was primaried by Ned Lamont. He lost the primary and then he ran as an independent and won the race. I mean, so your scenario doesn't spare her anything except, I, I, anyway, you're. I hate to say that you're being a little thick here, but you're being a little thick here because I, I, I don't I don't see the the workings behind the curtain that you do. I, if they materialize, I'm on I'm on Team John here. This is a big coup. But until such time, it seems to me pretty straight faced that this is an effort to avoid a primary fight she would have lost. Democratic Party in Arizona is a lot stronger than the Democratic Party in West Virginia. Yeah, 
She would have lost a primary oh. to Ruben Gallego. Ruben Gallego is too... We don't know that she would have lost a primary to Ruben Gallego. So Maybe she it? thinks that we don't. We nobody knows anything. Well, she I do know. Decided wait, I, that she but, wanted to be a relevant player in Washington, and the way she is a relevant player in Washington is to make her connection to the Democratic Party more conditional yeah, and but this, scare them. Okay, this go is ahead. The, this is something we do know about the situation, and actually, I see this this uh, change of her party affiliation as a good thing, and I hope others follow because, given the the disastrous you know sort of dysfunction in both parties right now, the more people who declare themselves independent and require the people in the caucus to to lure them in with compromise positions, the better it actually is for our politics. And a lot of American voters are feeling the same way too. Look at the number of registered independents out there; it's growing. And it's growing because both parties are not meeting the needs of the electorate. And in, in states like hers, it is a bit of a gamble. But, you know, they they elected her the first time because she's the person who does thumbs down and dresses, you know, like punky Brewster and twirls around. They like that. They like her kind of unpredictability and her quirkiness. And that's great. So I think whatever she, I mean, she I don't know about the pri- if she'd faced a primary, but I do think that that independent voices, particularly in the Senate, we need more of them, not not. Not the Bernie Sanders style, which, you know, will always vote strong D. He's never voted with Republicans, has he? I'm sure he's never voted yeah, with Republicans. Right. Yeah, I look, I, I always assume everything is cynical and tactical and strategic with with politicians. I think she just means it. I mean, I she she has been that way. Um, she's given evidence that that she she does things because she believes them. Um, throughout this this whole time, I don't I don't know that she's that she's trying to be clever here about um about uh primary challenges and whatnot. I it, it strikes me that she doesn't feel like she is welcome in this party. Don't forget, Joe Biden uh, double crossed her. Right? Uh, uh, this was uh, uh I, I I don't recall. Oh, it was over the the uh Build Back Better. Uh, package when 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 he 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 gave her her the number that she would come in on uh publicly when she when she when he was when she told oh, him right he was not yeah, supposed yeah to he do out that. he outed her number yeah, yeah yeah i mean i mean she has been treated miserably and by the way she will be treated more miserably because of this which could further exacerbate the the the, the kind of scenario that john is is laying out here it has it's also perfectly compatible with the scenario I'm laying out here, which is that she's not welcome in this party. She would have lost a, lost a primary race. She's getting ahead of that. Well, why not both? <laughs> right. I don't really understand the 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 world in which she leaves the Democratic Party and is strengthened because she'll have a Democratic rival for election in 2024 as well as a Republican rival. I don't I, I, I you know, the, the classic rule is if there are two Democrats in a race and a Republican, then the Democrats will split the Democratic vote. Carrie Lake got 46 percent of the vote. If a Republican gets 46 percent of the vote in 2024 in Arizona, that Repu- with with a, with cinema as an independent and uh, Ruben Gallego as the Democrat, the Republican will win the Senate race. So I don't know. I, gaming it out, I don't see necessarily. I mean, how, if you're looking, how, I don't know what numbers she's looking at, but you can just look at what we know publicly and publicly, publicly available data. She's vulnerable to a primary challenge. Publicly available past pre- performance of the Republican Party suggests they're not an especially adept party in that state. 
And Ruben Gallego is well-liked in the Democratic Party. If he were to win a primary race, he would have probably the inside track to win. You also have a history of, for example, as you said, not Joe with Lieberman, cinema in the Lisa race. Murkowski, all these people gem- demonstrate that incumbency can translate in the form of an independent bid, the advantages associated with incumbency. Maybe that's just the better roll of the dice. Yeah, but it's still a roll of the dice. So that's why you want to say, I don't Perhaps know. Perhaps a more you, likely more likely to turn. I up. don't see that at all. First of all, let's let's again. One of the worst candidates in memory. Terry Lake still got 46 Blake Masters got what did he get? 46, 47 percent of the vote. I mean, these guys are, you know, they were they were I know I know I am. Am I still supposed to genuflect at the altar of what a good candidate Carrie Lake was? Because I ain't doing I didn't do it before the election and I'm not doing it now. She was fake. She was weird. She said things that were really wonderful for people to hear about how terrible the media was. So Washington Republicans ate it up with a spoon but I've never seen a candidate quite as plastic as she. So I'm, I'm not in, I, I take her as getting, you know, as, as little as a Republican could probably get in the state and in a three person, in a three man race, Republicans win. If cinema goes up against a Democrat, Uh, there was no Republican candidate to speak of in against Joe Lieberman in 2006. Uh, I mean, there was effectively the Republicans said vote for Lieberman instead of the Endelmont, you know, uh, in in Connecticut. And there was no Democrat to run against Lisa Murkowski, really. Anyway, so let I'm just saying my my scenario depends on there being some kind of weird collusion between Manchin and Cinema, which you may look at and say, you know, this is not how American politics works. But who knows? I'm you know, it doesn't really matter much. Unless control of the Senate really is at stake. And we saw that. We've seen that in this, you know, in this century. We saw Jim Jeffords, who was a Republican uh, from Vermont, switch, switch, become an independent in caucus with the Democrats three or four months into George W. Bush's tenure because he played an interesting game. He wanted $22 billion or something like that for something to be stuck into the no child left behind bill. That was his, he actually presented the Republican white house with a bit with, with a said, bribe me to stay here. The cost is $22 billion. And Bush said, no, Bush said, I guess we'll just have to take our chances. And then they actually got no child left behind. And of course, then nine 11 happened and scrambled all of American politics, but the Republicans had exactly the same situation that Democrats have had for the last two years, 50, 50 control because Cheney was the tiebreak. So, you know, we've seen, it doesn't really matter whether they're 51 or 50, except that they all get an extra seat on these committees and stuff like that. I don't know. It's interesting. Fun speculation. Sort of again, never a dull day with the Dodgers. So, uh, let's uh, pause for a moment and hear from our friends at FIRE. 
Do you know only one in three Americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why FIRE is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. Okay. Uh, so part two of the Twitter transparency project started earlier this week by Matt Taibbi. Um, uh, has now come out at uh, uh, in the hands of our friend and 2022 commentary roasty Barry Weiss and her newly renamed Substack, which was uh, Common Sense and is now called the Free Press, right? Yes. Um, though it's interesting, it was called Common Sense, but Barry did not actually have the rights to commonsense.substack.com. It was called barryweiss.substack.com, but was called Common Sense. So I guess probably this will now be the free press dot substack.com anyway so you should if you you should go there and subscribe if you don't already subscribe though you should of course subscribe to us first but so this is now uh the revelation that the a long rumored shadow banning that's not the outright suspension of people but the but the limitation of the reach and access to the tweets of people all of whom so far at least in the reporting that we've seen are on the right that it was happening. Uh, they never admitted it. They said it wasn't happening. Twitter actually released statements over time saying we don't shadow ban anybody. And they did. So uh, a does it matter? B, what does it matter? Assuming that it matters. It definitely matters. It definitely matters. And I and we didn't spend a lot of time on the Taibi, the first the first thread. Um, uh, but but we should spend a little moment talking both about that and about this one. Uh, there's something, first of all, highly. First of all, this it matters because uh, Twitter executives at the time when asked about this practice, they lied to their users. They lied to Congress. They lied to the media. The media totally lapped it up and completely repeated their lies. No, this is actually uh, concerning. And it's actually Orwellian when you look at the people at Twitter who are very high up there with their Orwellian titles like, you know, legal trust and safety policy. Like these were the people telling telling uh, Twitter's users and the world that they that they weren't doing this. And it matters because of the partisan nature of it. The people whose visibility they tried to bring, they tried to uh, hamper the people who they were shadow banning were always their ideological opposites. And, and that is actually something you can say, because if you look at Twitter's employees, they are, you know, almost 90 percent on the left side of the aisle. And they were implementing practices and making up rationales after the fact to justify practices that were clear acts of ideological censorship. They didn't want, you know, accounts like Libs of TikTok and, and, and others that were gaining a far reach to have as much visibility as they did. And I am and they use these these you know, the pretense of, oh, well, they're threatening hospitals that do gender affirming care. So that's that's our justification for pulling down these things the the, the, the thinnest of rationales to justify what was in fact an ideological campaign. And this should concern us because not just because Twitter is doing it. It's a private platform. It's allowed to do whatever it wants. But because nobody when questions were raised by people on the right about this practice, 
they were called conspiracy theories. The Wikipedia entry for shadow banning calls it a conspiracy theory until hopefully last night when someone changed it. It was seen as a right-wing conspiracy that this was even happening. And we now know it was happening. So that that there's a lot of gaslighting going on and there's a lot of continued gaslighting by the mainstream media now about these stories. The NBC News disinformation reporter is, posted a, uh, uh, an emoji of a yawn when the second dump came out as if, oh, nothing to see here. We knew this was happening. This is gaslighting, folks, and it's wrong. And they, we really should be concerned about this. And, you know, Elon, I have a lot of problems with Elon Musk. But what he's doing now by releasing all these uh, files to, to independent journalists is a public service. And as Barry said, she said, the only conditions we had on what we're doing here was that we have to post the initial thing on Twitter. She she did disclose that. Um, good. There's a lot more uh, where this is, I imagine. And uh, we shouldn't accept the media narrative that this is a nothing burger, as they like to call it. Yeah, I'm with Christine entirely here. And, you know, I'm something Christine has written a lot about. Um, uh, this whole misinformation, disinformation panic about, you know, um, fall, fake news and 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 in, incorrect facts and anti-science. And that's what's ruining our discourse. There's an entirely different issue Um at work that is degrading public discourse. And that is that it is being shaped behind the scenes constantly um, in ways that aren't overt, that don't have to do with uh, publishing false stories and, and, and unprovable facts. Um, it has to do with giving certain platforms credibility um, and uh, that they don't deserve and denying other people credibility that they do deserve um, and who sees what? And this is exactly uh, how it happens. Um, and I think it's it's very important. And it's 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 kind of a big moment. It's it's, it's another one of those. The official story is garbage. You know, there is no official story to, to, to have faith in here. And I think that it's it's important. The yawn emoji by the NBC disinformation team, and I should say, by the way, are. January issue, um, the commentary January issue will be up uh, for your perusal on our website on Monday morning. And we have there a, a big piece by our own Christine Rosen on the disinformation beat, largely focusing on the NBC disinformation team. So you should watch out for that on Monday. That is horrifyingly disingenuous and spurious. They're yawning because they believe in shadow banning. They believe that it is meet and proper and right that Twitter silence or quiet, which is probably more like the point, quiet voices that they find obnoxious or appalling or terrible. They like it. They're not yawning. They're not, there's no, that, that's not a yawn. There should be a little applauding emoji, that emoji. That's what they actually think. And so because somehow it's understood that saying that you want people silenced is not quite the done thing, they're like, oh, like it really matters that Charlie Kirk is shadow banned. Well, you know, okay, maybe it does and maybe it doesn't, but that is A, not for you to say, and B, is it a story that a that a virtual public square 
that authorities in the virtual public square had essentially a kind of trap door on you know a trap door under everybody and when they said something too much they pulled the lever and people fell through the trap door or 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 they snuck up behind them and put a piece of tape over their mouths or they did something to their vocal cords so that they couldn't you know so that they couldn't deliver a speech in high park uh above a whisper of course it matters that's interesting. At, at the very least, news is something that it tells you that something's interesting. This is something that has been bandied about for three or four years, and in a in a in an unprecedented moment in American business history, an owner of a company is making it known what the behavior was of the prior management when it came to the distribution of the goods. Yeah, that this, the prior this, management was distributing. At the very least, look, NBC is just covering its own butt here because it's it, MSNBC had people on all the time a few years ago calling shadow banning a fiction. I mean, they just repeatedly said this wasn't happening. So they're instead of sort of revisiting their initial reports and going, well, actually, now we have new information. And as journalists, we should probably look at that. No, they're just doing the yawn emoji. But this should interest you as a reporter, because if it's happening at Twitter, the question is, does it happen on other social media platforms? How? I mean, look, content um, content management is a very difficult job. But we have now on the record people like uh, Gade, who I, I cannot pronounce her first name, uh, who was the legal uh, head of legal trust and policy. Uh, yeah, legal policy and trust. Uh, Vijaya Gade. She actually went on Joe Rogan's podcast and was like, oh, no, we don't shadow ban because he asked her directly. So they even you know, they actually had a campaign of going out and, and denying this thing that she was actively involved in doing on a, on a regular basis. So that mistrust about the content moderation, which the, the fact that the media, the mainstream media platforms are so accepting of all these excuses, the excuses that are being made about content moderation is, is bad for users. It's bad for people who get a lot of their information online, which is most of us these days. So if it happened at Twitter, at least is it happening at Facebook? Is it happening on other platforms? They have no curiosity because the impact of it worked to their benefit. I mean, that's the only thing you can assume about the lack of curiosity about this. No, let me present you with this analogy and see what you think of it. After 9-11, when uh, we were, was pretty much agreed that we were at war with uh, difficult to define force, this sort of radical Islam that was expressing itself in in you know hostile mass actions against us through the means of terrorism um there was a big divide in this country about what should be done about the dissemination of information in relation to the war on terror was it okay for there to be surveillance of social media was it okay for there to be warrantless wiretaps in order to try to track what was going on? Was it okay for there to be uh, Ari Fleischer, the White House press secretary, famously, notoriously said, people need to be careful about what they say now in relation to something that Bill Maher had said that you know provoked universal outrage. So that was a war, and there were very responsible people, Gabe Schoenfeld and commentary and others, who believed that in the, at, the, at a time of war, speech rights are necessarily more limited than they are in peacetime because 
you know, loose lips sink ships and you can reveal things that shouldn't be revealed. My take here is that implicitly on the part of a lot of people after 2016, they were on a war footing and their war footing was Trump and his people and all of this are a unique threat to democracy. And there was a higher purpose in trying to cut their access to the American brain through social media. It was, first of all, they believed falsely that this is how Trump got elected, which was already, you know, a terrible thing, an evil thing in their mind. And secondly, that in order to prevent it from happening again, in order to prevent, you know, terrible things from happening, it was necessary that these private companies do what they could to interdict the flow of information because these people were waging war, essentially a civil war inside the United States. That, I think, is what they won't explicitly say. Some of them come pretty close. Right? Am I? Do, do you think this analogy is... Yeah. It only yeah, just occurred to me. So I'm, okay. No, I think it's a fair analogy. I don't think you have to go back to 9-11. I think you can go back to 2014. Uh, when the prospect of self-radicalization online really was manifesting in violence. The guys who self-radicalized online ended up manifesting and a guy in a subway with a hatchet put it in your face. That happens. And that's a national security threat and something that we have to address as a national issue. It's a fair analogy because you can go too far with it and it can be tinged by paranoia and you can probably fall into excess pretty easily. When it comes to Twitter... I think, unfortunately, we have to do some qualitative analysis here. Obviously, the headline is this was happening to, to the right in ways it wasn't happening to the left. Full stop. It was a concerted campaign against the right. And the right has every reason to be aggrieved about it, particularly given the degree to which, as Christine noted, they were gaslit about it. And there are some egregious examples here in Barry's threat. This uh, doctor, uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, or Charaya? Bhattacharya. Uh, Charya, who was Bhattacharya. Uh, Stanford um uh a uh, physician who was talk who who found himself on a trends blacklist because he wasn't saying what everybody was supposed to say about how lockdowns were amazing uh the libs of twit of twit a uh, tiktok rather uh freak out she got uh caught up in this and that's all left wing like think and yeah well she two things happened to libs of tiktok too right she was shadow banned and then she was actually suspended six times. Yeah, multiple like times. Yeah. yeah. It even yeah. raised alarms within Twitter. They're like, how are we justifying this and constant banning? And yeah. it's clearly persecution. There's clear persecution. Wait, wait, we and have to yeah. add she was doxxed with her personal home address posted on Twitter. And Twitter still to this day has not removed that. Like that's yeah, actually she a, protested that's... and they said this does not violate our standards. Right. Sorry. So just but, yeah. Uh, the point about uh Dr. Bhattacharya. Um, being subjected to this um, speaks to me um, of the fact that this isn't so much a war about Trump and democracy and it's not a war footing because he's ta he's talking about lockdowns. Right. Yeah. No, but that was also that people, that's, people that's were going to die because project. of Jay Bhattacharya. That was the logic. The logic was millions of people will die right fair enough if skepticism about masking and lockdowns right. is allowed to continue unfettered that was the whole point it's okay, like okay 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 we can't the, allow this okay, now the right. other side of the coin okay citing ourselves yes Your days ago the free speech absolutism project that allowed kanye west to spout anti-semitic incitement to violence on twitter was a bad idea 
It's not something that a private company should allow. It may even be a national security project. Now you go into the details about people like Don Bongino and Charlie Kirk, who flirt with this line on a semi-regular basis. Irresponsible commentators who are doing who are engaged in irresponsible commentary at a time when there are episodes of inspired right-wing violence. How does a private company with a responsible fiduciary responsibility to shareholders that is under the oversight of Congress, that is in the, the, the targets of Congress, how does it respond to that? They they should have a consistent policy that is consistently enforced. And that is the problem. There's plenty of incites to violence on the left on Twitter as well, on any Antifa account, on any kind of extreme left account that, that I mean, that's the point is that I agree they are a private company and they do have content moderation responsibilities but the point about what this recent file dump shows is that they only exercise it against one side of the aisle unfettered for quite a while and I do not like a lot of the people you've named I certainly don't like Charlie Kirk um, and I would be perfectly fine with Twitter saying you know what here are our principles you violated them and but make it transparent and make it consistent that is what Twitter has not done until I have hopefully nothing right I have nothing but contempt for Charlie Kirk and Don Bongino. I can't imagine a world in which, I mean, I can imagine it. I can't imagine a world in which I would support their, you know, being silenced. Like if they're, if Don Bongino's radio company or whatever wanted to, wanted to fire well, him. Apparently neither did that because they wouldn't outright ban them. Okay. But, well, that's what they were doing. They called it de-amplification. But John's outlining the thought process that leads to that. We yeah. can't actually outright ban them. And right. In fact, it would backfire on us. That makes it worse make in it some ways. Happen. How about that? How about it makes it worse? Well, if you want to ban them, have a because standard and ban them. But, don't, because but they don't you want can to as a them. private company. But they don't. They didn't want to ban them. because. But then they lied and said that we were doing nothing. What is gaslighting literally, according to the play Gaslight? You slowly turn down slowly the gas. Slowly turn the Very gas light slowly. down. And then and then the woman says Tell tell why your wife she's so got dark it all in, in here. <laughs> and she's like, and you're like, it's not darker in here. It's like Charlie Kirk's like, you know, last week I had twenty five thousand retweets, and this week I have fifty. What's going on? Nothing's going on. What do you mean? Maybe people oh, no, worse, are interested worse. in what you no, have to say. No, worse. They didn't say nothing is going on. What they said is, oh, well, it's, you know, it's it's our algorithmic tinkering and it's just a natural. Uh, yeah, it's, it's happening it's, to everybody. It's happening to lots it's of people. It's happening to everybody. Yeah. What they did, and this is where it gets offensive. I mean, from what from what we gather, what they did with a lot of these things, instead of banning them outright, is they applied algorithms to them that they used for porn. So porn, of course, is a, is a there's a there's a very complicated line about what's what's softcore porn, what's hardcore porn, what's what's you know all of that. Like what is just titillating and what crosses the line into into you know we're like repugnancy and all of that. So you need algorithms. You need to set rules so that apparently, I mean, I, or you could ban it all, but you know. You could bet any kind of a naked breast or not. I mean, I, I don't know how it works. I do know that it is offensive to apply terms that you, you apply a methodology that we use to porn to political conversation. And, you know, it would be better. It would be better or cleaner if you just said, I'm sorry. You know what? I don't like you, Don Bongino. I don't want you on my platform. 
But if you pretend otherwise, that's just screw you. Like screw Jack Dorsey, screw all these people. I mean, standing there, you know, going to TED Talks and talking about the public square and the new way of having conversations and engaging people in conversations on all that. Like, I know Jack Dorsey didn't know. It's always great. He's like, he's, he's the, he's the new Trump. He did he doesn't know, you know, his right hand didn't know what his left hand was doing for 30 years. I mean, I'm sorry. It's contemptible behavior. Just as a, just as a matter of course, I don't think that the government should be intervening. I don't think that it's a first amendment issue in that sense. It just sucks. It stinks. And it's, unpl- it's, 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 unseemly and it shows and it merits and justifies arguments that the right has been making about the behavior of the left and its handmaidens in the media for 40 years and that they then now attempt to say that the proof of the pudding well, isn't the, proof okay this yeah. is the point if you are actually if you are a genuinely heartfelt concerned liberal journalist who thinks radicalization is a is a threat in, to our democracy then calling people who have legitimate concerns conspiracy theorists is a pretty good way to get them radicalized and this is the thing about the disinformation beat that drives me crazy if if it's really only on one side and then evidence emerges to undercut the argument that it's really only the right wingers doing this stuff and they have to be suppressed you have to be honest about that and say you know what we were wrong on this and let's let's correct ourselves accountability matters and when the mainstream media which has a lot of power and a lot of still a lot of power a lot of reach are basically covers for this kind of practice because it suits their own ideological priors that radicalizes people. They say they really are out to get us now they over and that might lead to overreaction. So if you're concerned about hyperpolarization and radicalization, you should want sunlight as the disinfectant here. You should want to know what was really going on behind the scenes to quell the conspiracy theories and also to hold accountable the people who were covering for, for these sorts of practices. And there you have it. So Monday morning, I think, or at some point on Monday, we will have our January issue up for your perusal. Uh, Hope you have a wonderful weekend. We will be back then to bore you for another hour on Monday. Uh, For Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.